How would you feel and respond if I was to call you a hater? You're all intolerant people. You're exclusive. You have a little club of your own. You don't want anybody else in your little club. You don't care. You only believe what you believe. You're just a bunch of intolerant haters. How does that make you feel? It's kind of a dumb question. <laughs> but it doesn't make you feel good, does it? You ever see the work of the enemy in our culture right now? They're trying to use our faith as a way to get the world to see us different than how we are. I've caught myself, not, not in the context of hater, but I've caught myself making these comments like, you know, the church this and pastors preaching this. And, and I hear that all the time. And then I, I get convicted or I get this stir from the Holy Spirit. It's like, wait a minute, how in the world do I know that? How do I know what pastors are preaching or, or what's going on in the church? The reality is I don't. It's like, where did that thought come from? It's from the enemy. He's excellent at stirring up stuff and, and getting us to think. And then, heaven forbid, you know, out from the mouth comes things that, that aren't true. When I think about that stuff, I think to myself, are there Christians that are hypocrites? That's another one. You're all just a bunch of hypocrites. You say this, but you do that. And to some extent, you know, that's true. But I don't know haters. I mean, I don't. I've been now, you know, I can't call myself a baby Christian anymore. I think I've been saved for 12 or 13 years. And I've been immersed in the church almost from the very first day. And I've seen some hypocritical behavior. But I haven't seen haters. I haven't seen any of that kind of stuff. Because it's just generally not true. And when, when I do see hypocrisy, what I'm seeing is an unsanctified part of a person. And if I get a mirror, I don't have to look that hard to see some unsanctified parts in me. So for us to get turn on the television or you know read the online news or the newspaper and heaven forbid that the commentary comes from California or Hollywood or someplace, it, it would cause us to feel so bad about ourselves that we would have to decide what is it that I want to do with this Christianity of mine that's so filthy because I'm a hater and I'm intolerant and I'm a hypocrite. And, and you might be able to find a little of that in certain unsanctified parts of us. What do I do with that thing that the world is accusing me of being? I was actually even going to talk about, about full-on persecution today. I mean, but I'm not even going to go that far. There are, there are brothers and sisters of ours in parts of the world where we feel like, man, everybody hates us. And our hate is we read it in the newspaper and they call us names. In Nigeria, it's Muslims show up at a church with machine guns and they shoot up the church and 30 or 40, 50 women and children and men are murdered. And then they go and burn down their houses and they steal their stuff and they do other horrible things. Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted in ways that are just bad right now. In many parts of the world. And I'm not trying to diminish what we're, what we're experiencing here. But what I'm trying to say is that we have to keep things in perspective. And, and today what I want to talk about, that I actually put a name on it today. Um, the name is They Don't Like Me. Right? They don't like me. Well, why don't you like me? You don't know me, but you're a Christian. And I know what Christians are like. 
2 Corinthians 5.18. Let me, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what the scripture says, you know, relative to what's our, what's our job as Christians. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to take and look at four different things that can be our response to they don't like me. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So God has given us this ministry in Christ of reconciliation. And, and it's, it's ultimately to reconcile men to God. And he's saying, Paul, he's, he's explaining this ministry, and then he finishes with, and I'm imploring you, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for God. We're his sent ones out for God to reconcile this world that he loves back unto himself through his son. Mark 6.15, this is Mark, part of Mark's um, playback of the Great Commission. And he, being Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You ever, you ever want to be the guy who preaches to the part of creation that's like a tree or a rock, you know, or, or a pickup truck? Creation, guess what? There's a God in heaven that loves you. You don't get rejected. You don't get a lot of amens necessarily. But nobody calls you a hater. Nobody gets mad at you. But we have to be the ones that preach to the part of creation that's human, that actually can have emotions and sometimes be the emotions that we're not that fond of. It's glorious when somebody responds to that preaching and comes to know Jesus in a saving way. And, and it's, it's discouraging when they don't. And it's painful when they get mad. So, so when they get mad, when they don't like us, when, when, when they have this perception that's sown into them by the prince of the power of the air, by the devil and his minions in this world, how are we supposed to respond? There was a time, and, and I've confessed this, I've actually spoken it from here, when I would share Jesus with people. And they'd be like, eh, not interested. And I've always prayed that God would give me a better heart for lost people because I don't, I don't think about lost people when I wake up in the middle of the night. I think about you people when I wake up in the middle of the night. That's the heart that God's given for me is for you people, for, for the church, you know. People that have more of an evangelistic gifting would, would think about people that they don't even know yet. And I would present Jesus to somebody, and, and they would be like, eh, not interested. And my, my response, not to them, but in my own heart, was your problem. I did what I was supposed to do. You can say yes or you can say no. When you're burning in hell, you're going to wish that you said yes. Not a good response. It's really not. I mean, I've prayed to be changed. That, that, that's, no, that's not Jesus inside of me. But it, but it was my response based upon wherever I'm at at that point in my life and my own insecurities and my own whatever to what would feel like rejection, Right? So I think there's four ways that we might respond to this they-don't-like-me situation that's going on. Let's look at each of those and see what the Scripture says about each one and where that would lead us, okay? Because we know from the first Scriptures that we've been commanded by Jesus to preach the gospel to all creation and that we are ambassadors for Christ, speaking as if God himself were speaking through us. So let that be kind of the framework of this conversation uh, the first option might be that we could argue our perspective, right? We could take somebody 
and stand in front of them and say, you're a sinner and you need Jesus. And if you don't get Jesus, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell and burn forever and eternity. And they could say, no, I won't. Or your God's not real. And then we could start to, to gen up all the stuff that we know about Jesus and about scripture and about history and about experience and all this stuff. And we could have an argument with them about Jesus in the, in the guise of preaching the gospel to all creation. That's one thing we could do. We could argue with people. But the gospel is a spiritual, not an intellectual discussion, right? So the first thing that we have to understand is that we're not appealing to a person's intellect necessarily, but to their spirit, their, their spirit man. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. He says this basically the same thing again later on in chapter 6. And what he's saying is that there is an anointing from the Father, a work of the Holy Spirit that has to happen in a person, or they can't say yes to Jesus. Nobody can come to the Son. Well, I'm pointing myself like I'm Jesus. Nobody can come to the Son unless they've been drawn to him by the Father. So, so there's an anointing that has to happen. And if you're trying to have uh, an intellectual discussion with somebody about why they need Jesus outside of the anointing, it's just not going to work. First, First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now this one I'm going to read to you from the NIV. says this, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So I want to have a spiritual conversation with an unspiritual person. Now, they might see themselves as spiritual. They might be spiritual in Zen or Buddha or, or who knows what, but they're not spiritual in that they have the anointing from the Holy Spirit to be able to even discern things that are spiritual because you and I can only discern spiritual things by the grace of the Holy Spirit inside of us. All knowledge, all truth comes to us through the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. So if Mark speaks French and I speak German, both exclusively, and I'm trying to get him to agree with my argument, and I'm speaking to him in my language, but he only understands his language, it's a fool's errand. It's just a waste of time because there is no interpreter. Now, if Mark would get a thing that would say, okay, as is it, here's my, I don't remember if I was German or French. I'll be German. You can be French. That, that here's my German, and it's got little earbuds, and it translates it for him, and he can hear it then in French, then he can make a rational decision. It can become intellectual because he has the ability to process and understand. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing is that little gizmo that makes it so that I can understand. But outside of the, the gizmo or the anointing, it's, it's just not something that's possible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26. Now, somebody knows that verse. This is Paul speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them, God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captives to do his will. Arguing spiritual matters 
in an intellectual fashion without the anointing of the Holy Spirit present, for really probably for both people, is just a fool's errand. It doesn't make any sense. Preaching the gospel to all creation is not a debate. It requires both a willing preacher and a willing listener. And the willing listener requires that grace that God would place in a situation that would allow them to be able to hear the truth and discern the truth. Now, that doesn't guarantee a decision for truth, but it guarantees the opportunity for them to decide. I don't have it in my notes today, but Romans chapter 10 says, how will they know if nobody tells them? They need the teller, they need the anointing, and they need to choose. Okay, so would you agree with me that, that arguing our point is silly, right? All of a sudden, I see these guys, I love them, bless their hearts, all these guys trying to argue the Christian perspective in the newspaper, it's a waste of time. It's a total waste of time. Okay, so option number one, argue, probably not a good option. O- option number two is maybe we just change the message a little bit. We, we just give them a little different message than what the gospel is in hopes that somehow that's going to bring about, they'll like us now, and, and they'll hear differently. There are denominations of churches that actually do this. Now, they don't do it in the sense of wanting to, excuse me, preach lies, but there's a, there's a sect, I guess a sect, that makes it sound cultish, but there's, a, there, there's Presbyterian churches, right? But they're not all the Presbyterian church. Right? Some of them are this kind of Presbyterian, and they have their own thing. They're not part of this other one that calls themselves Presbyterian. Baptist is a similar thing. One of these things that calls themselves Presbyterian Church has decided that it's okay for their ministers to practice homosexuality. Unrepentant practice of homosexuality. They don't even, I mean, I literally, I looked up their faith statement. I looked up their, all their stuff before I shared this with you. They don't even say it's not sin. But they say in their letter that they sent out to all their constituents that they want to be viewed as an inclusive church, as a a body of inclusive people. And I think that's excellent, but it's the wrong message. And you can pick homosexual, or you can pick liar, or you can pick adulterer, or you can pick any kind of sin you want to pick, right? Right? The idea of being inclusive should absolutely be true of the church, right? I mean, if any of you are struggling with homosexuality, I love you. I want to pray for you, and I want you to help me with my stuff that I struggle with. But see, if you're not yet saved, it's not a struggle for you. I mean, it might be because you might have some churn going on inside, and you know, culture's kind of being more receptive to that. But generally, you know, being homosexual isn't easy in our culture. That's why they say you know, they come out of the closet, because you, you don't want to... You don't want to talk about that part of your sexuality because you definitely, you definitely, you know, people don't like you so much, right? But we, as haters, as hypocrites, as all the things we, we, we try to ascribe Christianity to non-Christians. They, they haven't made a confession to Jesus as Lord. There's no covenant between them and God. They could do what the heck ever they want. We have made a covenant to God. As he exposes our sin in us, we have an obligation to the covenant, to the agreement that we made. He's offered to us his son and his spirit and eternity in his heaven if we would repent and believe. So they don't have that. So, so for us to go about and try to tell people, listen, you know what? If you 
want to come and be one of us. Now, I picked these two denominations. It's, there's one there, and there's the, um, I didn't write it down, Episcopalians. Episcopalians do the same thing. And, and if I'm an Episcopalian, and somebody says, hey, you know, my bishop is a practicing homosexual, I'd go to him, and I would hope that he would say to me, brother, pray for me, because I'm aware of a sin in my life, and, and I need to repent, but I'm just struggling, and I'm not having victory. Pray, I'm like, I'm a thousand percent cool with that. But, but to stand that guy up and say, hey, listen, here's a piece of sin that God's just going to have to be okay with, and there isn't going to be any issue of repentance. He's a liar, and he's going to continue to be a liar. He's an adulterer. He's got a wife, and he's got a girlfriend, and, and we're just going to be inclusive because we want adulterers to come to church too, which I do too. If someone's an adulterer, I want you to come, and I want you to know the love of God. But once you come to meet Jesus in such a way that that anointing touches you and the gospel is spoken to you, it ain't our job to tell somebody who hasn't picked Jesus about their sin. It's our job to tell somebody who hasn't picked Jesus about Jesus. Right? Now, once they're in the faith family, we're to, to, we're to, to, to encourage and edify one another unto holiness. So I don't care what your sin is. I don't care if it's this thing called homosexuality or lying or whatever it is. I'm compelled by love to get you to a place that I believe the Father wants you to be so that he can have more intimacy. He can pour more blessing into you. But telling the sinner that's not a Christian about their sin is like trying to get them to understand the gospel without the anointing. So I don't think we change the message. And we have to be careful because... The scripture teaches us about that. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, Paul, this is, 2 Timothy is the last, uh, the apostle Paul wrote either just almost half or just over half of the New Testament letters of books. He gets more than half if you ascribe Hebrews to him. He gets a little less than half if you don't. Second Timothy, Timothy is his last letter. So now Paul's at the end of his program. He's run the race, you know, he's kept the faith, he's been persecuted, and all the stuff that Paul's been through. And there's this guy, Timothy, that is his son in the faith. It's like his special guy, Timothy. He loves him, like, just so well. And so when you read Second Timothy, it's almost like a dad writing a letter. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be here very much longer, son. Man do these things. Please do these things. That's what 2 Timothy is, Paul to Timothy. So he says this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. See, that's what the devil's trying to do. He's getting it in the culture. Now he's trying to get the culture into you, right? And, and, and sometimes what happens is, gosh, that makes sense. Well, you know, God loves us. Why wouldn't we just want everyone to go to heaven? They don't have to repent because God will love them. And, and pretty soon you won't hear sound doctrine. Truth won't be truth. Well, truth is always truth, but, but what we would call truth would be different than truth. And it's a deception. Okay, um, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So there's churches all over the place that are popping up. They're gay churches, right? 
all the gay people come to this church because we're not going to tell you that that particular sin is bad. We're going to explain to you how everybody else has got it wrong and, and, and you don't have to repent from this sin. And then someday there'll be the adulterer church and the liar church and the thief church and all these things so that you can find somebody that will appeal to that part of your flesh that, that you don't want to repent from. That's what he's trying to tell Timothy. Don't fall into this. You teach the word. Sound doctrine. Only sound doctrine. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. To change the message is to have no message at all. To, to modify the message is to have no... It's, it, it's, it's not the message of God. It's now the message of you. Because you might even have a good motivation. Oh, if, if, if it were just for this one thing, if you could just be a thief and a Christian... And you modify the message. But you have to be committed to repentance. If we don't preach repentance, then we're not preaching the gospel. It's just not truth. Grace that's not truth is not grace. People will stand before the Lord, and on that day, they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he'll say, I never knew you. Maybe some of those people will be people that heard a grace message that wasn't his grace. And now they're standing before the Lord and there's no opportunity for repentance. There's no opportunity to say you're sorry. There's no go around again. It's too late. So it's not good to argue. There's no fruit in arguing. We can't change the message because then there is no message. Now all of a sudden we got to be God and I don't have a heaven. Okay. So option number three, how many are, if I said the word rapture, how many would not know what I meant? Don't be afraid. Everybody knows what rapture means. Okay. So option number three is we all just crawl under the pews, we hold hands, and we pray for the rapture. They don't like me, Jesus. They don't like me, Jesus. Just Let's just have a rapture now. Let's start heaven now, Jesus. And honestly, arguing is bad. Changing the message is horrible, but this is probably the worst because it's cowardly and it's disobedient to not to, I'm just not going to do anything. Screw them, right? Choose heaven, choose hell, your decision. See how it works for you. That's the way my heart was. That's bad, right? So we can't crawl under the pew and decide that we're just going to wait for the rapture and hope that, you know, when I go outside church, I'm going to tuck my cross inside my shirt and I'm going to put the whatever bumper sticker over my fish and all, you know, I'm just going to hide from all this. Second uh, Peter 3, 8, and 9. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, or that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The contextual part where this scripture is found speaks to that, that all of this is destined for fire. The earth, the heaven, all of it's destined for fire, and there's going to be a new one. That's eternity for us, right? For those that would put their faith in Jesus. So the context is, Lord, come on. Let's just do the big fire and get started with eternity. What are you waiting? Why are you so slow? And what he's trying to tell us here, Peter, is that God's not slow as we would consider slow. God is patient because there's somebody that hasn't heard the gospel yet. And he doesn't want that time to come until the gospel has been preached to all creation. 
Because when man stands before God, he's not going to have an excuse. If God says no, he'll be without excuse. We have been given the commission to preach the gospel to all the world, to all creation, right? So God is saying, listen, I don't want anybody to perish. I want all to come to repentance. We can't hunker down and not talk because then the rapture isn't going to come. The times aren't going to come because he's being patient and he's waiting for everyone to have a chance to hear that message. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. But God, they don't like me. They don't like me. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. Love compels us to go. Power gives us what we need to do it. And discipline is that thing that causes us to go about doing it as we should. We don't have to be afraid. When we're afraid, there's a lying spirit. When you say, ah, what if they reject me? There's a lying spirit. Fear of man. Fear, fear, fear. Not from God. Our spirit that we have, the gift we have from heaven, is a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Discipline. Self-discipline. Paul said this to Timothy again in, in uh, chapter 4 in 2 Timothy. To Timothy. Now, this is, this is like his spiritual dad speaking to him. But you, Timothy, you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. When they don't like you, you endure that hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He's God speaking to us. You, me, Pat. Be sober. Be conscious. Be aware. Be, be clear thinking in everything. Endure the hardship of they don't like me. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach that gospel and fulfill the ministry that he's given you. All right, so we can't argue with them. We can't change the message. We can't crawl under the pew and pray for the rapture. What do we do? I think option four is we persevere. We continue or start to preach the gospel. But we do it the right way. Proverbs 15 and verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Romans 2 and verse 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, him being God, his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? I've shared this before, but it's so powerful. We, we used to have a, a circle group that we led for a number of years when we were at the Freedom Center. And we had a couple that was probably, you know, our, our dearest friends at the time, and they were disciples of ours and, you know, just really awesome in the Lord in our behalf. The wife worked for a lady for a number of years, and the lady's life was just a total mess. She had a drug addiction. She had um, alcohol problems, and, and she was just soulishly tormented, just, you know, very unhappy. If you looked at her on the outside, she was very beautiful. You know, she owned a business. You would not know this stuff if you weren't close to her. She didn't, the friend, didn't, didn't even try to invite her to church. That was just never going to happen. But she kept inviting her, come to the small group, come to the small group, come to this thing. It'll, you'll find nice people. They'll love you. It'll be okay. Finally, the lady came. And we were sitting in our living room. There's probably 12 or 15 of us and doing whatever it is we, we were doing and having a conversation. And she was just silent, just sat there. All of a sudden, it's like her head blew up. And she's like, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make me be a Christian, but I don't want to be a Christian because if I'm a Christian, you'll tell me I can't have my cigarettes and I need my cigarettes. 
don't try to make me be a Christian. And I'm like, wow. I mean, she was worked up. I didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, the guy, it's one guy, mature Christian guy in our group, he waits for her to finish her rant, and he looks at her, he says, smoke five packs a day if you want. Smoke them with filters, smoke them with no filters. Seek after Jesus. All you need to do is seek after Jesus. What about my cigarettes? Smoke them. Drink beer. Do drugs. Knock yourself out. Seek Jesus. He was so wise. See, telling him, yeah, if you don't quit the cigarettes and stop your drinking, you're going to burn in hell. It's so good that you came here tonight because you're just a dirty sinner and you're... We'll never see that lady again. Never. Because all that just drives her heels in the ground. It attacks her as, as who she thinks she is. Heaven forbid the poor homosexual. Because you see, they think that's who they are. You have to come to that conclusion if you're homosexual. Otherwise, you've got nothing to work with. You're just weird and different. But if, if, if you can actually be this way, if it's natural, if it's, then, then you can at least, in a culture that doesn't receive you well, you can at least receive yourself a little bit. And you're not as tormented, right? You tell them that, forget it. You give them nothing. What he said was, in kindness, no, 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 don't worry about any of that stuff. Just, just meet this guy, Jesus. Sincerely desire to come to know this guy, Jesus. He didn't say these words, but, and, and if you need help, I will help you to meet Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. He loves us so much. This is what he did. He did this for you and for me. This is what he did. I don't, you don't have to talk about sin for one second right now. You have to get them to want to know Jesus. Because if you get a little tiny glimpse of Jesus, guess what? You want a bigger glimpse and a bigger glimpse. And guess what happens? It's like, it's like I was going to say castor oil, but that wouldn't be Jesus because it wouldn't taste good. Sometimes Jesus doesn't taste good, right? The stuff that we don't want to repent from. But my point is you taste something good and you want to have some more. And you want to have some more. And you want to have some more. And the more you get a Jesus, guess what? You don't want to smoke the cigarette someday. You don't want to take the drug someday. You become sanctified in love. Now, once you're a Christian, you've got to discern through maturity. I can remember, it must have been fun to disciple me. I remember I went on a, a men's fishing thing with Freedom Center guys. I mean, it's, I was like, I don't even know when I got saved, to be honest with you. So I was probably saved for less than six months, right? And we're, we're up in this place, way in the no place of Canada, you had to ride a boat just to get to the fishing camp. There weren't even any roads. And this giant lake. And I'm with Pastor Jim. I'm with Jeff Waltz, who's like his best friend, holy, godly guy, and um, Jesse Moutre. And, and our little fishing boat, there's a restaurant on the other side of this big lake. Must have had a road to it. And, and we're going to go have lunch at this restaurant. And it's like uh, the waitress comes, you know. What would you like? And Pastor Jim, I like an iced tea and a glass of water, maybe a glass of orange juice. I'm like, the bats. Because I understand these stuffy Christian guys. You know, they, they, they don't get it, but I do. And I'm going to have a little bats. And I'm going to drink a beer in front of all these guys because I'm going to help them to understand. Just loosen up a little bit, dudes. You know, it's all right to have a beer. They didn't have any beer. I remember the time when we had at our small group we separated men's and, men's and ladies, the men and the women, right? And I, I was like, you guys, you complain about stuff. If you go to the beach and there's a young woman there and she's got on a thong bathing, bathing suit 
You want to say, oh, you better take off your thong bathing suit because that's not right. So that's your problem. You shouldn't look at that lady in that thong bathing suit. That's your problem, not her. I mean, this was me as a baby Christian. I had all the answers. The point is, nobody said anything to me about I can't have a beer. They understood where I was at. They, they used discernment and maturity. You should see those guys. It's so fun. Nobody, they're like, oh, you know, there's an interesting thought. Right, I should just, I'll turn my head. Thank you so much, you know, wise guy. They didn't criticize me. They, they used kindness. And guess what? I don't know that you're going to go to hell for drinking a beer. I don't, I don't think it's a sin to drink a beer at all. But I don't drink beer. I'm not promising you I never will. I'm promising you that I will never get drunk by the grace of God. My point is, I've totally and dramatically changed the way I think. Why? Because people extended kindness towards me and understanding, which led me to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads a person to repentance. So we can share the gospel with people in a way that doesn't cause them to get pushed back on their heels and want to push back on us if we do it in the character of God the way the Bible teaches us to. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, He gave. It was a sacrificial give. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now this is the part I want you to hear for today's message. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. As Jesus says, as the father sent me, so I send you. See, we don't have to be haters. We don't have to be exclusive. We just have to understand that God, through love, has sent us like he sent his son, not to judge the world, but to help the world that they might be saved. One, well, I guess it's two. One kind of long course of scripture, and I want you to hear this. This is from from what I'm going to preach from this again next week. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And I'm going to inflect my voice a little bit at the points that I really want us to hear. Therefore... Since, through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. We don't change the message. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of, conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded their, the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, the, the God of this world is not the God of heaven. It's Satan. And Satan has blinded their hearts to the message of truth that is Jesus Christ, the glory of God. It's only when we employ the tools that God's given us, fruit of the Holy Spirit, kindness, the anointing of heaven, that we help God to remove that veil from their hearts so that they can receive Jesus, at least in the truth. They don't have to choose Jesus. They still get to decide. It's not that God then overwhelms them and takes over their mind, but at least they can make a rational decision to a spiritual matter. Okay, he continues, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, 
And, and, and repentance is in Jesus Christ as Lord. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let, sh- let light shine out of darkness, me, darkness, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, we're just little jars of clay filled with the treasure of God, this light that's life, this, this person that's the Holy Spirit. And he's given us this illuminated heart to share with other people, little jars of clay. And when they say they don't like us, Paul continues, he says, but we are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Jesus in John 15 says, Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. But you're never abandoned. You're never by yourself. We've been given the privilege and the honor to preach the gospel to all creation. And sometimes all creation, because there's this God of this world that wants what God loves to be separated from him eternally, he'll even get what God's love, what God loves to hate his messengers. And we have to persevere. We have to speak and we have to persevere. So when they call us haters, we don't hate. When they call us exclusive, we're not exclusive. We're only exclusive in the sense of the church itself. And that's only unto blessing and unto sanctification and holiness in the Lord. But a person who has sin in their life and isn't a Christian isn't obligated at all to repent from their sin. The repentance comes from receiving of Jesus. They hear the word through the kindness and the gentleness of his ambassadors. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's just pray a minute that God would help us to preach his message his way and that he would help us to overcome fear and that we would actually preach his message, okay?